Church family, if you will, open up in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33 is our passage for today. You say, well, that was our passage for last week. You're exactly right. It's our passage again this week. Uh, this is a big passage, and, um, and uh, really, uh, we could take um, more than two weeks to look at it, uh, but uh, we're going to um, try to wrap it up, this passage today. Um, and uh, last week, we looked at the eternal story, gospel marriage, the eternal story. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about gospel marriage, the temporary picture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. I'm going to read from God's Word. You follow along in your copy. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we will be lost without it. Father, your word written down, which points us to the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Lord, your word teaches us about who you are, teaches us about who we are, teaches us about your solution to our problem of sin, that solution being Jesus Christ. And then, Father, your word teaches us how to live in a way that brings you honor and glory as your people. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, would you speak the truth of your word into our hearts today? Father, may, may we be humble before your word. May we seek to change, to be changed by you so that our lives are a better reflection of our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Does anyone like to build models like model cars or trucks or boats or planes? Anyone like to do that? Or maybe if you don't right now, maybe you did as a, as a child. Um, I did. I, I like to build, uh, when I was a child, I liked to build model trucks and model planes. Um, I've always had a fascination with flying and, and airplanes and that kind of thing. So um, I, as a kid, I, I had a model of a F-14 fighter jet. I had a model of a World War II era um, plane, and I, I, I liked those. And then I had some trucks. My favorite one was a 1955 Chevy Stepside. And uh, that was my favorite because it took the most effort to build that model. A lot of the other ones were just snap and a little bit of glue, maybe some stickers that you put on it. This, this 55 Chevy, it came, um, no paint on it, and a 
that seemed like a thousand pieces. I don't, it probably wasn't a thousand, but it was a lot of tiny little pieces. I mean, it wasn't, uh, the one piece wasn't like the whole engine, it was pieces of the engine. But we had to put all the different pieces together. And I say we, because my dad helped me on it. And we had to paint that entire thing, and we were painting the engine block and the chassis. And, uh, and we even got so detailed, my dad got so detailed with it, we painted a wood bed with the metal slats. And I mean, it was just white to begin with. We painted all of that in there. Uh, we, he took a toothpick and painted the instrument panel, like instruments on the instrument panel. It was, it was crazy. I still have that one. I don't have really pretty much any of the other ones, but I still have that one. It's a little broken um, just through the years. I think it's missing a wheel or two, but, uh, but I still have that one. I'm going to save it as long as I can, and uh, it's, 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 it's great. And, and when I got those, uh, those model trucks and planes, I would get the kit, and then what I would do is sit there, and I would follow the instructions to put all the pieces together. Models are fun to build and look at, but at the end of the day, it's just a model, right? I couldn't get in that truck and drive it. I couldn't get in that those planes, those jets, and fly them. Um, I couldn't do that. Uh, they're not the real thing. They are a small version of something much bigger and greater, and their purpose is to represent the real thing, and their value is found in their connection to the real thing. Here's what I mean by that. The more accurately the model pictures the real thing, the more eye-catching the model is. That's why that 1955 Chevy Stepside was eye-catching, because all the detail, it, it looked like the real thing. And that's why it's very important when I would put those things together, together for me to actually follow the instructions. The instructions were there to help me put the pieces together correctly. And when the pieces were put together correctly, the model ended up being a beautiful representation of the real thing. Church, God designed marriage between a man and a woman to be a model of a far greater marriage. Earthly marriage between a man and a woman is to be a temporary picture of the eternal marriage between Jesus Christ and his people, the church. Paul says in this passage that marriage between a man and a woman, which God designed when he created the world. Remember last week we talked about Paul quoting Genesis chapter 2 here in this passage. That that is a profound mystery, Paul says. And it refers to Christ in the church. Marriage between a man and a woman, God designed it in such a way that it refers to Christ and the church. So a proper understanding of earthly marriage is only possible when we understand it in relation to the gospel love story of Jesus and his church. Jesus pursuing his people, dying for his people, purifying his people, caring for his people, and joining his people to himself in an eternal marriage relationship. Yeah, earthly marriage is to be a model of that. Which means we must take marriage very seriously. We must make sure that we assemble our earthly marriages in such a way that we put on display an accurate representation of the bigger and greater marriage that exists between Jesus and His church. And thankfully, God has not left us without instructions. He has given us instructions on how we can do just that. Listen, God designed marriage so that it would catch people's eye and point them to a far greater marriage than just the marriage between a man and a woman. But that's only going to happen if we take seriously God's instructions regarding marriage. And some of those instructions, not all of them, there's lots of different instructions for marriage throughout God's Word, but some of those instructions in, involve the God-given roles of the husband and wife in the marriage relationship. And that's the instructions that we have before us today. But church, we don't just need instructions. We need the power of God to help us follow these instructions. And thankfully, God has given us his power 
to go along with the instructions. Church Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33 teaches us this. The Spirit enables husbands and wives to honor Jesus by reflecting the gospel. This is the same main idea statement we have from last week, and this is really part two from last week, but I want you to think about that main idea one more time. The Spirit enables husbands and wives to honor Jesus by reflecting the gospel. Last week, we looked at the big picture of marriage. This week, we're looking at the details, the pieces. Remember, Paul is writing to people who have believed in Jesus for salvation. He explained the gospel, the God's work of salvation in chapters 1 through 3. Then in chapters 4 through 6, he, he, he directs our attention to how we're to live in light of the change that God causes in our hearts through Jesus. And marriage is one of the areas of our lives that becomes transformed by the gospel. When we examine this passage in its context, we see that these instructions for marriage are really a continuation of the command in verse 18 to be filled with or by the Spirit. Well, it's always important to read and study, interpret, and understand passages in their context. Verse 18 says that we are to be filled by the Spirit. That means we're to allow the Spirit to control our lives. And when he does that, verse 21 tells us that one of the things that will result in our lives is that there will be this submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that submission to one another out of reverence for Christ leads Paul into a kind of a, a discussion, if you will, on some various areas among believers in which we see this submission on display. One of these is with wives and husbands, another is children and parents, and another is servants and masters. And Paul addresses all of these in Ephesians. We need to say right up front, church, that these instructions for marriage are a continuation of Paul's command to be filled by the Spirit so that we walk in these Jesus-honoring roles because that's what the Spirit always does in our lives is honors Jesus, leads us to live in a way that Jesus is glorified. And that means this, church, without the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to follow these instructions. But with the Holy Spirit, not only will we be able to follow these instructions, we will gladly follow these instructions. And I emphasize that. We will gladly follow these instructions. Why do I say gladly? Because the Spirit always works to honor Jesus. And so if the Spirit is producing these things in our lives, then these things are honoring Jesus. And people who have been saved by Jesus through His death in our place, His resurrection from the grave, it is our joy to honor Jesus. We gladly seek to honor Jesus, even when that means being hated by the world. You see, marriage, uh, the world says a lot about marriage. The Bible doesn't just speak about marriage. The world speaks about marriage. The world is constantly giving us instructions on marriage. But unfortunately, it's often the opposite of what the Bible says about marriage. More than that, not only is it often the opposite, the world's instructions and the world's attitude towards the biblical perspective of marriage means that it's often antagonistic towards God's view and God's instructions of marriage. That's just a fancy word that means the world not only disagrees with God's instructions of marriage, but hates God's instructions for marriage. But as people saved by the gospel, we love honoring Jesus and representing the gospel in our lives no matter what the world says. And marriage, and when we think about it as the temporary picture of the eternal story of Christ and his church, marriage is one of the clearest representations of the gospel that God has given to us. So we remember the big picture of marriage, that, it's, that, 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 that this earthly marriage is a picture, a representation of the heavenly marriage between Jesus and the church. Now, and that's what we focused on last week, now we turn to these specific instructions for building, assembling an earthly gospel marriage which accurately 
represents the eternal gospel marriage. The way in which a marriage represents the relationship between Jesus and the church is for the husband and wife to represent the particular roles that are played by Jesus and the church in their marriage relationship. We could say in our marriage relationship with Jesus. And God has clearly stated in his word which role the wife is to play, which role the husband is to play. And we're going to begin with the wife because that's where God's word begins in this passage. So I want to give you three truths today, okay? Um, we'll spend most of our time on truth number one and number two, and then I'll mention truth number three um, at the very end. Number one, church, a spirit-filled wife pictures the gospel through church-like submission. A spirit-filled wife pictures the gospel through church-like submission. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let me just quickly say, um, the, the world, and I'll kind of mention this at the end of truth number one, but the world wants to paint this, these instructions for marriage as being demeaning towards women. That, 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 that is putting women down. Right from the get-go, we see that in a society that often did put women down, uh, the gospel elevates women because Paul doesn't say here, husbands, make sure your wives submit to you. Paul addresses the wives. He assumes that the wives will be there in the church gathering and they will be learning right alongside their husbands. Okay, So just that he addresses the wives in a way was countercultural for that day and time. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The wife's role is to submit to her husband. Does that mean that the husband's role then is to hold the position of authority and leadership in the marriage? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. Now what does that mean to be the head? The best scriptural understanding of that word head is that of authority. And this becomes clear as we see the big picture described in the rest of verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Church, Jesus is the head of the church. That means Jesus is in the position of authority in his relationship to the church. And we go back to that uh, illustration. Paul's using two different analogies here. He's using the bride and groom illustration marriage. He's also using the head body illustration. The head gives direction to the body, right? The body doesn't give direction to the head. The body does respond to the head. And a good head will listen to the signals that the body sends back. However, the body follows where the head leads. There's no, no other way. And the world tries to explain this away. Even, even Christians who, don't want, who want to, who want to uh, be influenced by the world want to try to reinterpret this passage. And there's no other way to accurately understand Jesus' relationship to the church. His headship means authority. And that is what is to be modeled in the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. The husband is the head of the wife, God says. And so the command to the wife is to submit to her husband, to follow the leadership of her husband who is the head. And when she does this, what happens is the wife is taking on the role of the church in that eternal marriage relationship. Look at verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so the wife's role in the model of marriage, this earthly marriage, is to represent the church, to play the part of the church. Now, I want to provide some further explanation of the wife's role of submission, but we got to just make sure we, we just start with the basic point. Wives are to follow their husband's leadership as a body follows the head or as the church follows Jesus. We're not talking about just some kind of mutual submission where both the husband and the wife act humbly and respectfully towards one another. Some people would say that's all this is talking about. 
But that doesn't make sense in the fact that he specifically addresses wives here. It doesn't make sense when we talk about Jesus and the church. Yes, husband and wife should humbly and respectfully you know, uh, serve one another. In fact, we're all to do that in the body of Christ. We're to humbly and respectfully serve one another. But there's a specific role, specific way that this mutual love and respect and servant-type attitude is to be lived out by the husband and by the wife. And it's lived out by the wife as she submits to her husband, by the husband as he leads his wife. Let me give you four words to help, help us go a little bit deeper in our understanding of biblical submission as described in this passage. I'm going to talk fast, okay? I know I'm already talking fast. I'm going to talk fast today, okay? we got a, we got a lot to kind of pack in uh, to this passage. And, um, and, uh, and so just listen as fast as you can, and, uh, and, and hopefully the Lord will be glorified in this. Four, four words um, as we think about um, wives submitting to husbands. Um, the first word is unique. Hey, this is a unique submission. And by unique, I mean one of a kind or occurring only once or only in, in, in this particular context. The submission wives are called to in this passage is unique to their marriage relationships. Like certainly wives as well as husbands are, are called to submit to lots of people in our relationships in life, right? Like, for instance, we submit to teachers and church elders and bosses and the governing authorities. Like, we, we, we have lots of ways that we practice submission in our lives, or we should practice submission but, but this church-like submission a wife is called to in this passage is not submission to just anyone, not just submission to any man, but to her own husband. You see that? That's what I mean by it's a unique type of submission. And so some of the things that we may talk about when it comes to this kind of submission may not apply to other relationships in her life, right? Um, it applies to her relationship with her husband. It's unique. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So that's the first word, unique, okay? Another word, a second word, is limited. It is a limited submission. It's a limited submission. Now, the second word and third word go together, okay? Um, but uh, I'm going to start with the word limited, uh, number two, and then I'll give you number three. Um, so limited submission. God's word says that the wife is to submit in everything to her husband. That might be one of those words where you see and you go, whoa, is that word really supposed to be there? Submit in everything to your husband. <laughs> it's supposed to be there. Um, this is God's word. It's supposed to be there. Um, the, wife, the wife is supposed to submit in everything to her husband. Let's think about, think about the, the, the context here. The wife is also a part of the church, and the church is clearly called to submit to Jesus in this passage, right? So where, where are you getting at? Well, what happens if the husband wants the wife to do something that is sinful, is the wife supposed to say, well, I'm supposed to submit in everything to my husband, so I just go along with sinning with my husband? No, 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 no. Because primarily the wife, as a member of the body of Christ, submits to Jesus first and foremost. We don't want to throw out Jesus in the church and just focus on uh, the husband and the wife. We want to remember that Jesus church um, uh, marriage that is very much real and alive here in this passage and in our lives. She is in a relationship with Jesus, and the Bible calls us to submit to proper earthly authorities unless submitting means rejecting the authority of Jesus. In other words, Jesus always gets the last word in our lives. We see this played out in other places in Scripture. For instance, uh, we are called to submit to governing authorities, and the disciples did that. And it was, it was tough in that day and time to submit to governing authorities. They were submitting to, to Rome, to, to, to Caesar, which wasn't always an easy thing. But they were to do that, and they did until 
governing authority said, you're not to speak about Jesus. And then the disciples said, well, we're going to keep speaking about Jesus. Not because we don't recognize your authority, but because we recognize that we have also a higher authority. And God told us to share the gospel of Jesus with people. And so we're not going to sin in submitting to a lesser authority than God. Same thing would be true in a husband-wife relationship, right? Her submission, the wife's submission is limited. This is what I mean by limited. Limited by God's supreme authority in her life. She must not follow her husband into sin. That being said, word number three, it is a full submission. Full submission. It is a limited submission, but at the same time, it is a full submission. The text does say, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to her husbands. Think about it this way. The church doesn't get to pick and choose which days it's going to submit to Jesus and which days it's not going to submit to Jesus, and neither do wives. The church doesn't say, Jesus, I'll submit to you in this area of my life, but not in this area. Likewise, the wife should not say, well, I'll submit to my husband's leadership in my life in this area, but I'm not going to submit to his leadership in this other area. Unless the husband is leading the wife into sin, um, her default, with the help of the Holy Spirit, should be to follow her husband's leadership, and I'm just quoting from Scripture, in everything. Now, let me give a little more explanation here. And again, when I say a little more, we could give a lot more. We could talk for a long time about each of these points. We're not going to. But think about this for a moment. This call for wives to submit is not an assumption that wives are these things, nor a call for them to be these things, to be dumb or helpless or lazy or weak. That's not at all what this passage is saying. Wives, you can be intelligent and capable and hardworking and strong and still make the choice to follow your husband's leadership. In fact, I think you actually should aspire to all those things, to all of those qualities while choosing to honor Jesus by submitting to your husband's leadership. It's not also not a call for husbands to make all the decisions independently of their wives. Wives, you can offer your opinion, give input when decisions are being made while still maintaining a heart of submission to your husband. And we are going to talk about husbands today, okay? Um, and, and just go ahead and kind of go there for just a second. Husbands should be seeking the input of their wives as they love their wives as Christ loved the church, right? Leading as Christ leads his church, is not ruling over in a domineering fashion, but lovingly leading, okay? Um, husbands, we might be called to play the role of Jesus when it comes to be, being the leader in our marriage, marriages, but husbands, we're not Jesus, okay? We're called to represent Christ, but we're not Jesus. We're not perfect. We don't know everything. We can't do everything. We need help. We need the help of our wives. That is, in fact, why God created woman in the first place. He looked at Adam in the garden by himself, and God said, that's not good. That's not good. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. So God made a woman, brought her to the man, and joined them to one another in marriage. Husbands, our leadership must always reflect our need for the help of our wives. Wives, your submission must always reflect your God-given role as a necessary helper to your husbands. Let me give you a fourth word. We said unique, limited, full. Let me give you the fourth word. Thankful. Thankful submission. You say, well, I don't see the word thankful right there. Well, 
Let's think about it this way. It might not be explicitly stated in the text, but I think it's good and it's right to say this. Satan obviously doesn't want wives to submit to their husbands because when they honor Jesus by submitting to their husbands, um, Jesus is glorified and Satan hates that. He hates Jesus. He doesn't want Jesus to receive honor and glory. And so Satan's going to tempt wives not to put this into practice because he hates Jesus. He hates Jesus' relationship with the church. He doesn't want this model to paint an accurate representation of the real thing, of Jesus and his church. But sometimes Satan's success in not keeping us from obedience to God is by keeping us from joyful obedience to God. Sometimes Satan tempts us by not necessarily keeping us from doing the right thing, but he tempts us to do the right thing with grumbling and complaining attitude in our hearts. Wives, how should the church submit to Christ? How should we submit to Christ? We are to submit to Christ thankfully, joyfully submitting to to Christ, a glad-hearted thankfulness. Wives, how then are you to submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ, the text says. Now, is your husband perfect? No, not at all. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can submit with thankfulness knowing that you are getting to play a part in modeling the gospel. And even on days when your husband is being a knucklehead, I'll just put it that way, okay? Being a knucklehead, remember, you're submitting out of reverence for Christ. You're not submitting ultimately out of reverence for your husband, though the end of this passage says that wives are to respect their husband, but that's not your primary motivation. Your primary motivation is out of reverence for Christ, as verse 21 says. This is His will, and Jesus is worthy of obedience. Let me say one more thing here. The world says that our value comes from our function. The world says that Our value comes from the role that we play, from what we do, from our function. In other words, we might be tempted to think that because the role of the wife is to submit to her husband, that in some way the wife is less important or less valuable because of her role to submit. That's exactly what the world will say. Okay, I'm not making this up. That's exactly what the world will say, and that's exactly what perhaps you, um, you maybe have felt if you've been in a marriage relationship and you tried to put this into practice, or maybe you just read this. Even men and women will look and say, well, that doesn't sound very kind towards the wives. Like, it sounds like they're less than the man in some way. But let me just remind you, men and women, specifically wives, but all of us, that Jesus practices submission. Jesus practices submission. As the Son, He submits to the Father. We see this clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane where He prayed to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Listen, Jesus is no less equal to God because of His submission to the Father. In the same way, wives are no less equal, no less valuable than husbands because of their submission. Wives are equally created in the image of God and Christian wives are equally citizens of the kingdom of God. We have an equal uh, creation and we have an equal salvation. Our value comes from that creation and that salvation, not from the role or function that we play. Our value is not determined by our function. Contrary to what the world says, just like Jesus' value was not determined by his function in submitting to the Father. He was and is and will forever be God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one whose name the Father says is above all names. He chose to play the role of submission. Now, there's much more that can be said, but let's turn our attention to husbands. 
A spirit-filled husband pictures the gospel through Christ-like headship. This is truth number two. A spirit-filled husband pictures the gospel through Christ-like headship. We've already seen how this passage places husbands in the role of Christ in a gospel marriage. Verse 23, remember, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. That's what the text says there, verse 23. So the husband is placed in the position of authority, but not just any headship, not just any authority. We're talking, talking about Christ-like headship, Christ-like authority, and that changes everything. That changes everything. What does that look like? Well, we get a hint of it and at the end of verse 23 where Paul says that Christ is the church's Savior. So how did Jesus exercise his headship over the church? By saving the church. And since the church was the, uh, saving the church was the greatest act of love the world has ever known, the role God has given to husbands is to exercise Christ-like headship by exhibiting Christ-like love. We are to exhibit as husbands uh, Christ-like love in our marriage relationship. That's how we exercise Christ-like headship, because we are to take on the role of Christ. You see, since the command given to wives is to, wives is to submit, we might think that the command given to husbands in this passage would be, now husbands, rule over, or, or, or husbands, um, lead, or husbands, exercise headship. We might think that would be the, the command. Wives submit, husbands rule. But that's actually not what it says. It says, wives submit, husbands love. Right? Husbands love. Now, that's not to deny that the husband is in the position of head, because the text has already said that. The husband is the head of the wife, but the command is not to rule, or the command is not even to lead, though that is implied to lead your wife. The command is to love. Love how? As Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church. Let me give you, again, four kind of words, four words, four phrases, really four, four phrases here as we think about Christ loving the church, and that is then how husbands are to love their wives, how we are to show loving leadership. The first is through dying. We love through dying. Husbands are to love through dying. Christ loved his church by dying for his church, and so husbands should love their wives by dying for their wives. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Church, Jesus gave himself up for us, for his church. Jesus denied himself in many ways for his church. He left heaven and came to earth. He took on human nature. He allowed himself to experience temptation and pain and hunger and suffering. All of those were acts of self-denial. But then his ultimate acts of self-denial, the ultimate way he gave himself for his church is by being nailed to a cross and bearing God's wrath in our place. Jesus died for the church. He laid down his life for the church. He loved us by dying for us. And husbands, the text says, are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, biblical headship is Christ-like headship, and Christ-like headship means serving your wife in such a way that you sacrifice yourself for her benefit, for her good, because that's what Jesus did for his church. Though he was fully equal with God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. 
He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul wrote those words to the Philippians. That's how Christ loved his church. And husbands, that is how we are to lead our wives. We lead from a posture of humble, self-sacrificing service. We lead by dying to ourselves for the good of our wives. And that definitely flies into the face of any worldly notion of headship that would be viewed as some kind of domination, some kind of, of tyr- tyrannical governing over someone else. That's not how Jesus is the head of his church. And that's not how husbands are to be the head of their wives. We love through dying. And listen, that comes through a billion daily decisions to die to ourselves, to die to ourselves, to die to ourselves for the benefit, for the good of our wives. Second word is sanctifying. Sanctifying, love through sanctifying. We talked a little bit about this word sanctification last week. To sanctify means to be set apart as holy. When the Bible says that God is sanctifying us, it means that God is working to replace our sinfulness with holiness. He's working to replace our sinfulness with holiness. And that's exactly what this passage says is one of the ways that Jesus loves his church. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So through his death for the church, Jesus has worked to sanctify the church, to cleanse the church from all of her impurities so that she would be what? A spotless bride. Remember that that's the eternal marriage and and this temporary marriage between a husband and wife is to reflect that eternal marriage. Our earthly marriages are being a model of that heavenly marriage. Now, Paul doesn't mean that husbands actually have the power Jesus has to literally remove sins and impurities for their wives any more than he meant that husbands are to literally die for the sins of their wives, right? We are representatives of Jesus. We are not Jesus. Husbands are not the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. But we are to love our wives in such a way that our love serves as a model of the real thing. And since Jesus loved by sanctifying, husbands ought to, in some way, in some, in some way, it's going to be a lesser way than Jesus, but in some way, we ought to reflect that sanctifying love in the way that we love our wives. Now, what does that look like? Let's just keep it real simple. To be sanctified means what? To be cleansed. To, to, to be made spotless and holy, to look more and more like Jesus, who is holy in every way. And so husbands should be leading their wives by loving their wives in such a way, catch this, that their wives look more like Jesus as a result of being married to their husbands. Now, husbands, if that doesn't make you a little nervous about your role, our wives ought to look more like Jesus as a result of being married to us. My wife ought to be looking more like Jesus as a result of being married to me. That is a high bar. That is a high responsibility. Now again, I can't, I can't make decisions for my wife. I can't take away her sin. I can't make her choose holiness. But here's what I can do. I can foster a marriage and environment. I can lead the way in creating a marriage environment in our relationship with one another such that I, I help her towards Jesus instead of hindering her from becoming more like Jesus. And the way that I talk to her, the way that I think about her, and the decisions that I make along with her, the way that I lead in our marriage relationship should help her look more like Jesus rather than hinder her from looking more like Jesus. 
And the only way that's going to happen, husbands, is if our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we are passionately following Jesus into holiness in our lives. We cannot lead our wives into a place that we are not ourselves there or heading in that direction. Christ-like headship means we love through sanctifying. Another way uh, we see Christ-like headship playing out in love in this passage is that we love through providing. We love through providing, right? We love through dying. We love through sanctifying. We love through providing. Really, the third and fourth ways husbands are to love as Christ loved the church are found in verses 28 through 30, where Paul goes back to that head-body analogy. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own body, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Husbands, we are to treat our wives as we would treat our own bodies. Now, some, sometimes we don't take real good care of our bodies, okay? But Jesus always takes good care of his body, the church, and we are to treat our wives in the same way. Remember, we're seeking to paint a picture of the relationship between Jesus and the church. Jesus is the head of the church. The church is his body. So however the ch- uh, Jesus treats the church... That's how husbands should treat their wives. How does Jesus treat his body? The same way a good head treats its body. The love for his body reveals itself through nourishing and cherishing the body. What does it mean to nourish? Well, it simply means to provide whatever is necessary for living. Right? The head directs the body towards proper nourishment that benefits the body, that provides life for the body. A head leads the body toward good food and water and shelter. Jesus provides nourishment for his church, and the same should be true of husbands for their wives. Husbands, we are to lead in such a way in our marriages um, that we are providing that nourishment. And I think this can apply both physically and spiritually, Right? I mean, husbands should lead the way in providing physically for their wives. This doesn't mean that wife can't have a job or make money or contribute to the physical provision of the home. In fact, I think she should, um, in different ways, contribute to the physical provision of the home. But the buck stops with the husband when we think about leadership. If there's no food on the table, the husband shouldn't look at his wife and say, what happened? What are you going to do about it? That's not leadership. That's not being the head when it comes to providing nourishment. The husband is given the responsibility to nourish his wife, to provide in a physical sense. We can also think about this spiritually. Husbands should lead the way in providing spiritual nourishment. Husbands should be the ones leading the way in making sure God's word is read and studied in the home and the family is actively involved in the local church. I wonder how many marriages are physically healthy from that physical nourishment. There's food on the table. There's money in the bank account, but are spiritually malnourished because husbands have ignored their responsibility to imitate Jesus by providing spiritual nourishment in their marriage relationship. Husbands are to love through providing. And then that fourth word is protecting. Husbands are to love through protecting. Here we focus on that second word, nourishing and cherishing. We're to love our wives as our own bodies as Jesus does the church. What does Jesus do? He nourishes and cherishes the church. And we are to cherish the church as well. You see, when you cherish something, what do you do? You protect it. You protect it. Husbands are to cherish their wives as Christ cherishes the church. We are to protect it. We cherish all sorts of things, right? Some things, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, really kind of dumb. Like, we cherish, like, certain baseball cards sometimes, right? I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but what do we do when we cherish that particular baseball card? It's a mint condition rookie card. Well, we put it in a protective case. Why? Because when we cherish something, we protect it. We cherish our automobiles, so we park them in garages so the sun won't damage them. We protect them from the sun. I cherish my hearing. I do. And so the other day, I was sighting in my rifle, getting ready for deer season. You know what I did because I cherished my hearing? I protected it. 
I put on, I put on ear protection when I shot that rifle to make sure that my hearing was protected. Husbands, how much more ought we to cherish our wives and therefore protect them? Jesus not only provides nourishment for the church, He also protects the church He cherishes. He keeps the church from evil. He has fought Satan on our behalf and He continues to protect His sheep, His people, His body, His bride. Listen, when a head sees danger, the head initiates the necessary signals to, to the body to steer the body clear of the danger. Christ does the same for the church and husbands, we ought to do the same for our wives. Again, that plays out physically and spiritually. Husbands ought to be the first line of defense between their wives and physical danger. When I hear a strange noise at night, I don't look at my wife and say, you want to go check that out? <laughs> right? When I heard growling outside my front door last night, which was a true story, and I thought it was a dog fight, I didn't go find my wife, who was at another part of the house, and say, there's something growling outside. You go, you go check that out. I'm going to just sit in here. No, no, no. I went outside with a flashlight and, um, and, and found that growling. It actually wasn't a dog. It was a possum trying to eat the dog's food. Um, but it was growling and it was really mean. Um, but, but no, I didn't look at my wife and say, you, you go check that out. That's not cherishing my wife. Cherishing my wife means I go out into the darkness and put myself between the danger and her. Now, I might have to call for backup, right, at some point. Um, but uh, but I, I, I take the initiative in that. But there's also a spiritual component to cherishing your wife. Husbands, we ought to lead the way in protecting our wives and marriages and homes from spiritual danger. We're to be proactive in making sure our wives are protected from the temptations of in our enemy, Satan. Which means we must be protecting ourselves from sin so that we are not a source of temptation for our wives. And then we must be on guard against any form of sin that might be creeping into our marriages, into our homes. And we must take the initiative to deal with it. We must lead the way in love. We love through dying, sanctifying, nourishing, and cherishing. There's so much more we could say about this role, the roles of, 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 of wives and husbands. So much more. But church, as wives show church-like submission and husbands show Christ-like love, the result is that Jesus is exalted. I told you I was going to share three truths with you, and the third one was going to be right here at the end. So let me share this final one with you. A spirit-filled marriage points people to Jesus. A spirit-filled marriage points people to Jesus. Remember the big picture of marriage, the eternal gospel story of Jesus and the church. Earthly marriage between a man and a woman is a temporary picture of the eternal relationship between Jesus and His church. Earthly marriage is a small model of a heavenly marriage. And so church, we follow the instructions God gives us for marriage so that we put on an accurate display of the greatest thing in all the world, the gospel story of Jesus and His church. And as we do, we're pointing people to Jesus. We're pointing one another in our marriage relationship to Jesus. We point our children to Jesus. We point our extended family to Jesus. We point our church family to Jesus. And we point a watching world who needs Jesus to Jesus. You say, well, these instructions are are hard. You better believe it. <laughs> you better believe these instructions are hard. In fact, they're impossible for us to follow on our own because we are sinners by nature. However, Jesus' church has given us all we need. He has saved us from our sin. He fills us with His Spirit. Remember, these instructions regarding marriage follow the command to be filled by the Spirit. That's basically Paul saying, you can't do it. I'm giving you instructions inspired by God that you can't do. But when you believe the Gospel so that your heart is changed and you allow the Spirit to control your lives, we can follow God's instructions in any area of our life, including His instructions for marriage. We can display the greatest love story of all time, the Gospel story, the story of Jesus and His church. We have to trust in Jesus for salvation so that we're saved and then daily live 
under the control of the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, if there's someone here today who has not trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, Lord, I pray that they would see through this passage how much Jesus loves us, that he gave himself up for us. That he works to sanctify us, to get rid of the sin in our lives so that we can have an eternal relationship with you. Father, I pray for those who have not trusted in Christ that they would turn to Jesus, turning away from their sin, looking to Jesus to be saved. And Father, for those of us who are saved, Father, I pray that we would do our part, Lord, to to foster marriages which are accurate models of the one true eternal marriage between Jesus and His church. Father, if that means we're married, Lord, that we would put these instructions into practice in our lives. If that means, Lord, that we're, we're, we're not married, but we might be one day, that we would go ahead and, and be learning what your word says about marriage. And, and, and as much as we can, while still not being married, that we would begin to um, practice some of these qualities so that we have practice before we enter into that marriage relationship. And Father, for those who, who aren't married right now, um, Lord, that, 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 that they would do everything they can to hold high um, your, your word, the biblical view of marriage. They would encourage uh, marriages in our church to be all that God designed them to be. We would pray for one another. Lord, this is a way that you have given us to show Jesus to ourselves, to one another, and to the world. And Father, may we all do our part in fostering marriages that reflect the gospel of Jesus. We can't do it on our own, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us everything we need because Christ gave all of himself to rescue us from our sin. Father, we thank you for the gospel. May it lead to gospel marriages in our lives. And Lord, may our reflection upon your word lead us to lift high the name of Jesus that we would say, worthy is the lamb who is slain for the sins of the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.